Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Buck Starts Here. Joining me today, I have Chris Browning, host of Popcorn Finance, an excellent podcast, and Chris Browning himself, an excellent dude. Hello, Chris. How's it going? <laughs> hey, Gabby. Thank you. This is probably one of the best introductions I've ever had on a podcast, so I appreciate it. Oh, you're one of the best guests I've ever had on the podcast. Don't tell the <laughs> other seven-ish people that have already been on here. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited to have you here today because we are going to be talking about the worst financial advice that we have received over the course of our long and illustrious lives. But (laughs) before we get started, I just need to read a quick disclaimer. Here it goes. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. They are not intended to be used as financial advice. Credit Karma receives compensation from third-party advertisers, but that doesn't affect our opinions on this show. Credit Karma's marketing partners do not review, approve, or endorse this content. I'm sure that makes you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, Chris. (laughs) I I do. I think I may just listen back just to that part of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) You hear that, everyone? Everyone should listen to our disclaimer a lot because it sounds so good when I read it. Um, no, I'm really excited to have you here today, Chris, because I, I think that one of the things that happens in personal finance is it seems like everyone has an opinion, mm. you know, like you go to Thanksgiving and your uncle's like, you know what you should do. <laughs> I got this hot tip. For you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think it's just like kind of a universal experience that people just like give you advice and like three quarters of the time, it feels like they actually have no idea what they're talking about. I find it surprising how many people I are just experts on finance. I didn't know. Like they've never talked to me about money before, but they all of a sudden they they, they know this great stock to invest in. I'm like, wow, you were just a, a secret undercover stock investor and I didn't even know. Oh my gosh. I remember this one time I was out at a bar and this was back when I was working for an investment media company and like my beat was like the financial industry, just like like banks and REITs and BDCs and like esoteric financial instruments and I don't know what and CDOs. And this guy like pins me at the bar and like tries to like talk to me about the 2008 housing crisis. And I was like already kind of drunk and I was just there for trivia. And I was like, are you trying to hit on me by like talking to me about debt instruments? Could we not? So he just walked up to you and, and did he, he I'm, I'm assuming he didn't know you, right? So he was like, a friend of a friend and I guess they pointed me out to him and they're like oh that's Gabby she does financial stuff like you Mm. should go talk to her like I know you like investing and instead I got this like just like this really long unhinged rant (laughs) about mezzanine (laughs) financing and I was just like please stop You know, I like to imagine they're like, okay, you should go talk to her. He's like, do you know what to say? She's really into finance. And he's like, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> and he comes over there. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're out there and you're looking for tips for uh, how to hit on women, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> which ties really neatly into the rest of this episode, which is just like terrible financial advice that we have either received or heard over the years. And I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in with one of the most common ones that I hear especially because uh, both of my parents are immigrants. So we know a lot of people who have come to this country and are adults and are building credit for the first time, which is like a very scary thing. And it's very difficult. And I don't, I think that it's kind of like intentionally difficult to understand how to do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes. Um, That's my tinfoil hat moment for the show. And, and one of the things, so one of the things I end up talking a lot about is, is how to build credit. 
And I think the number one misconception that people have said to me is, oh, I should carry a credit card balance. It helps me build credit. And I think there's like a lot of things to break down in there first. One is that with credit cards, you know, I think a lot of people know how credit cards work, but you can, you can carry a balance. So like you can say you have, you want to buy something for $500. You only have 200 now, put it on the credit card and pay those $300 back when you have them. But in return for being able to pay later, interest may accrue on the balance. Um, Basically that's anything that you don't pay off by the due date. Essentially, that's normally how it works. So yeah, in in return for being able to pay for stuff right now, you will owe the credit card company some money in the form of interest. Um, the thing is that carrying a balance doesn't necessarily help you build credit. It's having <laughs> the credit card and using it responsibly, <laughs> which is helping you build credit. <laughs> I always wonder where that myth came from. Because I hear that one so many times. And I don't know if it's like, this is the logic I think goes into that. They Mm -hmm. say, okay, look, if you pay off your balance, the credit card company is not going to see it when they send you your bill. If the bill comes back at zero, then they're going to think you didn't use your card. I think that's the logic that people are putting to this as to why they think just leave a balance so that they can see it there. And they're going to mark it down that you're a good credit card user. And it's it's, it's so wrong, but I'm trying, sometimes I try to put myself in the mind of like who came up with this horrible tip that they gave to someone and now it's spread all over the place. That makes so much sense. I, I have never been able to figure out like what people are thinking, especially because when you ask them, like, you're like, why do you think that? They're like, because it's true. And I'm like, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, duh, it's true. Why do you think I thought this? <laughs> Um, yeah. And I mean, if you're, if you're interested in using a credit card to build credit, like things that you can do without ending up having to pay a ton of interest, which you have to do when you carry a balance is you could do stuff like, uh, make sure that you pay your card on time and in full every single time that helps a lot. Keeping your, your debt to available credit, uh, ratio down. So say you have say you have a credit limit of $1,000, you want to try and spend less than $300 on it at any given time. And that'll help keep that that ratio down. That's another way of showing that you're a responsible credit user. I don't know, there's 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 plenty of ways to, to build credit, but carrying a balance on your credit card isn't some like magical thing. And like I said, you're just going to end up paying interest on that balance. And then you might end up in debt. And that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's I try to do whatever I can to try to convince people like this is this is wrong and it's just costing you money. Don't you see on your bill when you see this interest charge that's like added on to what you're paying every month? And like you said, there are so many other great ways to build credit that will work for you. And, and I think sometimes we're tempted to find like a shortcut. Like, what can we do to speed this process up? Like, I need to come on. I need good credit now. Get me there and I'm going to do whatever I can. But uh, sometimes I think the sad part about like, yeah, I guess it's kind of sad that building credit is just kind of a slow process, like building yeah. up your credit score. It, it's really a more of a factor of being responsible for a long period of time mm-hmm. versus anything you could really do, uh, like you know, in, in a month or you know, even a year. Yeah. it's really not that long in the grand scheme of things. Like the only thing that I can think of that could like affect your credit scores rapidly is if you go and you check your credit report and there's a ton of stuff on there that doesn't belong to you. Like there's a ton of errors yes. on there. And you get those taken care of. That's the only thing I can think of. But if there's not a ton of errors on there, <laughs> like I can't think of anything that like you wake up the next day and you're like 300 points higher. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, I'm sure some of us who's listening, I know I've had this where something happens and you see your score drop rapidly, but I don't ever, I've never seen anything that works the opposite where oh my you God. do something really great and it raises your credit score. It's like your GPA, you know, in, in school where it's like, it's so, it's so easy for it to drop. You get one B minus and suddenly <laughs> it goes, you know, and then it takes forever to build it back up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think at the same time too, say you have a score that's like, 830 or something and credit scores can go as high as 850 so you know say you have a credit score of 830 and you do something and it gets dropped to say 790 you're still in a better place than someone who's at 690 and drops to like 670 (laughs) even though that score drop isn't as much so like you know like don't it's it's fine i I really i feel like talking about personal finance isn't for the faint of heart like even just like thinking about those big (laughs) drops i'm like And you know, there's kind of like an obsession too with having a really high credit score, like having like a perfect, I want to get an 850. And it's almost like, you know, maybe you put too much emphasis on like trying to be perfect, but instead of just kind of just improving where you are and getting to, you know, you can be in that top tier. Yeah. Beyond a certain point, it doesn't really matter, honestly. Um, You just show it off at that point. I will say that one thing that I've been seeing a lot on Tinder, I'm doing the online dating thing, (laughs) P.S., uh, is a lot of people have been posting their um, their credit scores on Tinder, and I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, about, especially when I'm like, my credit score is better. I know I shouldn't judge anyone, but I'm just like, this feels weird. <laughs> I mean, it it's kind of not a bad idea. I mean, <laughs> is that what would attract you if you were a woman, Chris? You're just like, yeah, it's a good credit score. <laughs> Come on I mean, over. It shows, like if. <laughs> Like if someone has like a really low credit score, would I, would I, would that make me be like, mm, I don't know. It would make me pause. I would ask them some questions. I would have some questions that are going to need to come up during that first date to be like, let me kind of fill this person out. <laughs> maybe they had like a bad thing happen to them and, you know, but they're still cool. Or maybe they're just like really, <laughs> really irresponsible. I don't know which one it is. Just to be clear, the only, the only people who seem to post their credit scores are people who have like, like seven eighties and above. Like I haven't seen anything lower than a seven eighty on on a dating app because I think that otherwise like people like don't want to, you know. You know <laughs> that's true. Someone's not going to post their bad credit scores away to attract a new <laughs> a new person. Oh my gosh, I that's a dating apps are like that's for a whole nother show. But I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of stories about the apps. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, another another piece of pretty bad financial advice that I know both of us have heard before is that investing money is only for people who are like fabulously wealthy, like Jeff Bezos Mm. wealthy, which is, he has, his net worth is $190 billion last time I checked. So like, no, (laughs) no one's, no one is, he's the richest person in the world. It's fine. You can invest before you're the richest person in the world. (laughs) Yeah, he's, a diff- he's on a different level. We can't judge ourselves by that standard. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. But I mean, I think that I think that there, there are definitely like things that you should think about before you start investing. I think, you know, and, and everyone's financial situation is totally different and you have to take that into account. And if you're like curious about whether it's right for you, you should talk to a financial advisor. Can you tell that I have lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like for real, like everyone's situation is different, but just because you don't have a hundred million dollars or however much sounds like a lot to you doesn't mean that you can't potentially start investing if you've got other things in your life that are, you know, kind of set and ready. Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes we, we downplay or dis or kind of discount 
starting with small amounts. Like if someone were to invest like ten dollars, you're like, why would you even waste your time? But small amounts add up over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think often I, I've heard this several times where people who maybe have like a work retirement plan, they don't consider that investing. They think investing means I'm going and I'm buying these individual stocks and now I'm a real investor, but I can pick that company and make money and throw it here and, you know, and, and turn that into a billion dollars. Like that's what people see. That's what we see in the news as investing, not the very simple, easy, straightforward investing is like putting money in an index fund in your 401k or your IRA, which mm-hmm. is still investing. That's just as much investing as someone who goes around and picks individual stocks. For sure. And like you said, you, you can start really small. That's totally true, especially with fractional shares, which exist now, which this is going to make me sound like an old lady. I'm not. This is just like kind of a new invention. Um, but those didn't exist when I was younger. Fractional shares like you couldn't just buy like ten dollars of Apple stock or whatever it is. But that's something no. that, that you can do now, you know, if that's something that fits in your budget. And like just to be clear, like there are a lot of other things that you should maybe consider doing before you start investing, like having an emergency fund. <laughs> that's like a really big one. Like uh, you don't want to you don't you know. I personally think that you should you should never put anything in the stock market that you can't live without. Yeah. For the most part. So like, you know, like there's there's a lot of other stuff to think about. I think just even giving yourself permission to start thinking about investing even before you reach some like I don't know, mythical level of money that whatever you have built up in your head. And this is something that I was totally guilty of thinking of too for a really long time until I started working in investment media before this job. Um, which was that I was like, I'm never going to have enough money to invest. My parents yeah. are uber successful and I will never be as successful as them and I will never have as much money as them. And I'm just going to be a poor anthropologist forever. Side note, I'm not an <laughs> anthropologist anymore, which might be, which might help my opportunities. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what's your experience with this? Yeah. You know, Investing is just one of those terms that has like all these other emotions attached to it and all these other feelings. And we conjure up these images of who we think an investor is. Like Warren Buffett. Like, that's what I think of. Like, he's really nice, by the way. I ran into him one time at an ice cream shop when I lived in Nebraska. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He lived in the same neighborhood as my (laughs) ex-boyfriend. But the thing is, even with Warren Buffett, even he is like, like, look, anyone's really an investor and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be complicated. As rich as he is and as successful as he is, he's like, look, not everyone's going to do this. Like, this is not he knows he's an anomaly. Like, he's not what everyone's going to look like and have the same experience as him. Um, but like you said, through things like fractional shares where you can just buy like, you know, I got ten dollars, but you can still buy. You can just throw that at anything. Even if the stock is more than ten dollars, you can buy a small piece of that. And it's I don't know. It's you don't expect to graduate college and then be a multimillionaire. Your first job is going to pay you all the money you're ever going to need in life. No, <laughs> in your career, it's going to be a buildup. You're going to start off low and you're going to slowly work your way up and, and build a life, build a financial life and a career. And the same thing is with investing. Like you're one, most often you probably don't even know what's going on or understand half of the terms you're going to see. But slowly over time, you build up the knowledge as you you try and you put yourself out there and you make attempts to to learn what this is and invest some of your money. And so starting slow is probably the best way to do it because you can slowly put your money in, learn what you're doing, learn these terms, become comfortable. And so when you have more money, when you make when your career is going well, you're even more confident and have even more understanding on what investing is and how to do it properly. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wait until you're wealthy to start investing, then you might not ever end up investing. <laughs> That's so true. I love I love that that idea of like building up both like in your life and then 
also your wealth and then also your knowledge. I think that that is, that's so true. And like, you just, you, you can just start tackling it. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel like there's like, and there is, there's like, there's a lot of knowledge out there when it comes to investing. Like there's a lot to oh, yeah. know for sure. And, and a lot of people are going to feel a lot more comfortable having a financial professional handle that for them. But there's also with the, with the internet, there's so many resources now. There are ways for people to get started and not have to pay a ton of money to do it. Um, I think that that might be partially where some of that idea comes from is that in the past, like access to the stock markets was, you know, it was, it was, pretty restricted like you needed to have a broker and like you needed to call someone to make trades for you and it was like a whole thing and now with the internet it's it's such a good different beast that you know i think i think things are changing (laughs) yeah i agree with you because i mean realistically it's complicated yes there's definitely hurdles but like you said the internet is like, I mean, what, the greatest invention of all time where we have access to? So, I mean, some people say the worst thing ever invented, but, you know, it depends on what part of the internet you've been on. But it's, uh, it's, it, it has made it possible that you can learn literally anything you mm-hmm. want on your own. And um, it's one of those tools. Where, I mean, we can take advantage of it and, and become more confident and more knowledgeable investors. Yeah. And I mean, even if you still decide you want to go with a financial professional, at least it's kind of like... For example, every time I go to the mechanic and they tell me something's wrong with my car, I Google what they tell me so I can be like, yeah, that makes sense. Or like, my car doesn't have that part. That doesn't make sense yeah, exactly. at all. <laughs> you know, like you can still use the internet just as a like as like a way to be more understanding of what's going on in your personal financial life. Even if you have a, you can afford or you can use a, a professional, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there are people out there who are knowledgeable and they do their job very well. And, and they're a great resource to have on your side. And it's like, you know, it just adds that much more confidence for you when you can speak with them and understand what they're saying and not be stuck in a bad position. Because, I mean, I think we've all seen those like celebrity stories where it's like this celebrity trusted their their investment advisor or their attorney with all their money. And now they're broke. You know, there's been everyone's seen those stories because Mm -hmm. they didn't they weren't involved. They didn't know what was going on. And so just being able to understand and like you can look at your own statements and and say, oh, hey, this looks a little weird to me. Can you explain this to me? It just makes it, you know, leaves you that much uh, stronger of an investor when you can ask, you know, good questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think the takeaway from this particular segment is that it's never too early to invest, even if it's just in yourself. Oh, I love that. That was great. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, so I think the last piece of terrible advice that I've gotten, and this one really cracks me up, is uh, you shouldn't take that promotion or raise because you'll be in a higher tax bracket and you'll end up paying a greater percentage of taxes. (laughs) Wow. Um, So I think like a lot of things that we've talked about, there's like a kernel of truth in here. But it it has definitely gotten pretty muddled in translation. And um, I would like, Chris, Chris, can you introduce us to the concept of marginal tax rates? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I am often surprised at how many people don't know how our tax system is set up and the the marginal tax rates that are applied. And it's always, I I guess I get it because it's confusing, but the way it works is our tax system kind of steps up, like maybe like a set of stairs. And the more money you make, you start to kind of move to that next step. But the way it works is it's only the next dollar you make once you cross that threshold that's taxed at the higher rate. So just to make it simple, let's just say that your first $10,000 was 
zero. You paid no tax on it. Mm -hmm. But the moment you made $10,001, you moved to the 10% tax bracket. That doesn't mean that all $10,001 are now taxed at 10%. It's just that new dollar. So you're going to pay a dime on that new dollar you just (laughs) earned. So it's not like, well, I don't want want this dollar raised because it's going to move me into the next tax bracket. You're going to tax me 10% on everything. It's only that next dollar. And that pattern continues as you make more money. And they, they begin to get really spaced out the higher you go up in earnings. So it's one of those things where, yes, you will pay more taxes, but only on the money that crosses that threshold. And it's going to be a net benefit for you to get a raise, even if it pushes you <laughs> to the next tax bracket. But it's, it's one of those concepts that I've even talked to friends and they're like, oh, I didn't realize it worked that way. And I'm like, well, I guess it's not like we have a, you know, a tax class in high school or college to really teach us these things. No, we should. It should be part of just even just a civics class. I feel like it should be part of a civics class because there have been a lot of different iterations of tax code here in the United States. And that has been like a huge political fight throughout time. And I think that we're talking about it a lot now. People are like, we should tax really wealthy people more. Um, And I, you know, like, I think that people really need to understand how our tax system works. That's just like a personal. (laughs) So there's been a lot of personal soapboxes today, but that's another personal (laughs) soapbox I have. Don't hit on women in bars to talk like talking about CDOs, you know. understand how our tax system works <laughs> oh yeah it's just like i guess it's when something's just foreign to you you may just take the advice then of the first person who sounds smart who comes up like if someone told me hey man if i knew nothing about taxes like man you don't want that raise because if you get that raise you're gonna get taxed more and you might as well not even got it i would just be like oh wow thank you for for warning me before i took more money and but it's just like you just don't you don't know what you don't know and it's it takes being exposed to it like like we're doing here to to be comfortable and be like, okay, let me let me really think about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Um, that's so funny. I'm I'm thinking back to the first time someone said that to me, and I think that the raise was something. It was like something almost insignificant. I want to say it was fifty cents or something like that. <laughs> but like it pushed me above that that like the poverty line where like where you don't get taxed, and and they were like you shouldn't take it, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think I was like 18 or something. So I, I figured it out pretty quick. Even back then, e- the internet was good even back then for any younger Gen Z people listening. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, I don't know. Hearing you tell the story, it makes me think about the fact that the tax system is just really complicated. It's so complicated. Like you, it's so complicated that it's people's jobs just to understand how it works. Like every mm-hmm. year they have to read up on new stuff because there's new rules and new, <laughs> and new changes to the IRS tax code every year. And they, there are people who just dedicate their jobs to understanding this just because it's so, it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel, yeah, that's true. I wouldn't feel bad that I don't think anyone truly understands like every single nook and cranny of our tax code. Like it's, it's what, like hundreds, thousands of pages long. Yeah, no. Like even I, when I, I, I get a headache every time I get ready to file my taxes because I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I gotta, I gotta look through all this stuff again, and it's just, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's understandable that you wouldn't understand the marginal tax rate and how that works. That's um, true. But it's one of those things that it's a very weird concept. But once you understand it, and once you look at it, just look at the tax table and kind of see how it's broken down, it becomes clearer and it's just kind of exposing yourself. And just, I would and, say, just focus on that. Don't look at all the tax code. Right. Just look at that one. Right. Part. And honestly, I feel like it provides like a huge sense of relief once you understand how the marginal tax rate works. At least it did for me because I was like, oh, it, it really is only taxing like this much amount more. 
whether or not we should have tax reform, that's a whole nother headache. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for me personally, the marginal tax rate, I was like, oh yeah, I should definitely take my 50 cent raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like in California, we get a bad rap for having really high state taxes. That's what everyone says. Oh, California, your tax is so high. Mm-hmm. But most people are looking at just the highest tax rate, like the, the top tier of tax. Like you're the, the wealthiest of the wealthy this is what they receive. But most of us regular people who whose income doesn't have multiple commas in it, it it's no it's not a it's not a factor because we never actually touched that high, but it's just an understanding of yes, the tax tables go up this high. Like the highest tax rate is here, but it's a marginal progression. You don't not everyone's even gonna get anywhere near touching that top rate. Yeah, for sure. And you know, once you're making that amount of money, money becomes kind of like time during the pandemic it becomes more fluid <laughs> you have when you have that much it's like it's like it doesn't really matter how much you pay in taxes to after a certain point like anyway um we're not here to discuss that that's for our friends in washington dc <laughs> yeah yeah definitely we're not we're not getting paid enough for that uh that level of discussion nope 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 um I loved having you here today. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners while you're here? Oh, actually, one thing I want to share with our listeners about you is that you have this wonderful podcast called Popcorn Finance. Oh, thank you so much. And Gabby's been a guest on there as well. I have. And, uh, it's true. We talked you, about credit you, scores. <laughs> oh, we did. And we talked about didn't we, we talked about FOMO as well. Yep. We talked about, about FOMO. Like, and then one time you interviewed me about the worst purchase I ever made. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was, I mean, kind of goes along in line with uh, the worst advice we've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that if you can, you should definitely check out Chris's podcast. He also has like a great Instagram feed that has both popcorn and finance on it, um, <laughs> which I think is a great combination. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to join me here via the internet, the wonderful internet today. <laughs> The place with all the investment knowledge is also the place where I get to connect with people like you. So it's always, it's always great talking with you, Gabby. Same, same, same. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I do have to read one last disclaimer before you go, which goes like this. The views expressed here are those of Credit Karma's editorial team or their guests. They do not represent the views of Credit Karma. Since the opinions and information on our show don't consider your personal situation, always do your own research before making financial decisions. The information on the show is accurate to the best of our knowledge when it's recorded. That's the last of the disclaimer. So thank you so much again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. 